as we pray, would you stand with me, please? We're standing here. Only because he made a way. Only because he made a way. Paul said in the book of Romans that it's because of this grace that we can now stand. Father God, we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. We thank you that we know you collectively as a people, as a family, as a body, as a church, as a fellowship. But God, we also know you personally. We know what you have done encourages us about what you can do for anyone that's in a storm right now they're in a test and you're wanting to grow their faith in an unusual season and situation I just pray God that they would look back and see your faithfulness in their life that you did not bring them this far to leave them that you've met every need according to your riches and glory. You've been a good father. Strengthen them now in this storm that they can know that this storm will pass just like every other storm has passed. And they're standing here today praising you as if they already got the breakthrough. Believing in you that it's done. Because, Lord, it's been said we're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or heading to a storm. But no matter what, Lord, you're the master of the sea. We give you glory. We thank you that we can stand in your presence and just say thank you. We don't have to wait for eternity to testify about the blood of Jesus and about the testimony that we have been given because of that blood. We're, we're doing it today. And not just in this building, Lord, but when we leave here, we want our light to shine. We want our lips to speak. We want to be salt. We want to be light. That we can share our testimony in the grocery store. That we can share our testimony in the bank, in school, elementary, middle, high school, college, grad school. We can share our testimony wherever we go because of the great things you have done. You are great and you are greatly to be praised. Now, Lord, help me preach your word and help your people to hear your word and help all of us apply your word because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you do. You came to bring glory to Jesus. Oh, God, have your way. Move, continue to move in our hearts. Use us in ways that we can't even imagine. Do more in our lives because you've blessed us to be a blessing, not just to get blessed. So thank you for the benevolence offering today. Thank you, Lord, for next month in December where we get to serve the least of these in our community. Thank you that we get to come and pack boxes and knock on doors to be salt and light. 
Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Does anybody have a hand praise for Jesus? Anybody got a hand praise for Jesus? I mean, you got to think about what he brought you out of, what he brought you through, what he's taking you to. He's worthy. He's so worthy. My God, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord and turning your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1 as we are in this series in this letter called Encouragement and Admonishment. As Paul, who often found himself in prison, is writing what would be his final letter because his execution was on the horizon and he wanted to write to his son, his spiritual son. He had many sons in the ministry, many daughters as well, but Timothy was his protege and he's writing to him saying, I need you to come see me quickly. Get here to Rome. Come visit me because before I see Jesus, I want to see my son. Do your best to come to me quickly. And as he's writing this letter to him, asking him, imploring him to come, the letter is also riddled with much encouragement to his son as well as admonishment to his son. Because we all need both. We both need encouragement. We also need admonishment. So today we find ourselves, we're still in chapter one. And uh, as I was reading this passage this week, it, it took me back to pre-COVID. You see, now we're dating stuff, you know, COVID, pre-COVID, pretty post-COVID in Jesus' name. And pre-COVID, we used to do Bible study and children's ministry here on this campus on Wednesdays. Student ministry was in the house. Uh, we would have a meal together. Everybody would bring something and we'd eat and then we'd go feast on the word together. And I remember there was a time we were going through the book of Ephesians on Wednesday night. And we were in Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul, in Ephesians 1, he gives this long run-on sentence from verse 15 to verse 23. It is a long run-on sentence. And so we're trying our best as a class to interpret that sentence just chapter one. Then Elder Paul Revere spoke up. He said, you know what, Pastor? The reason why this sentence is probably so long is because Paul was raised at the feet of a lawyer, Gamaliel. <laughs> and so being raised at the feet of Gamaliel before he was converted, he was taught about law. So when you read his writings, his letters, um, in many ways, they come across as legal manuscripts, especially the book of Romans, uh, which, which has a, a wonderful outline and how it's broken down and how he's out to prove a case that we are justified as believers, grace through faith. So this lawyer thing was in him, and I'm going to read you five verses right now that are also one sentence in the Greek language. Paul has a way of running on his thoughts as a lawyer because he has a case to make to his spiritual son. So read with me in 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, and I'll read all the way to verse 12. This is one sentence in the Greek language. And it says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. That's one sentence in the Greek language when he wrote to his son from jail. And in order to begin to make sense of this long run-on sentence, I had to ask, Lord, Lord, would you show me what was going on here? Can, can you help me? And before I consult commentaries and other people's thoughts, uh, who have the gift of teaching, the gift of knowledge. Before I go there, I like to look at the whole council as much as I can, study, read before, read after, maybe dig a little bit in the original language, and I'm praying, Lord, would you show me the text? Because there's something you want to show me that you didn't show Warren Wiersbe or, or J. Vernon McGee or Tony Evans. There's something you want to show me. So before I go to the, these people, uh, Beth Moore, before I go to these people, show me. And it began to just come out very clearly that there's a way to interpret this long sentence in a way that at least makes sense to me. So I don't, if it makes sense to me, I hope it makes sense to you because I was not the sharpest, sharpest knife in the drawer uh, growing up. And so I hope you get this. And really when you interpret this, the key to interpreting these five verses, which is one sentence, is centered around time, time because he mentions three epochs of time in this one run-on sentence. In verse 9, he talks about before time began. In verse 10, he says, but has now appeared in the present time. And then in verse 12, he talks about that day. So Paul is dealing with eternity past, the present, and eternity future. And so for a preacher, man, he's given me a very natural and easy sermonic outline. And so here it is, three points. And he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, think about what Jesus Christ did for us in eternity past. I need you to think about that, Timothy. Secondly, Timothy, I need you to think about what Jesus Christ did for us in the present time. And then thirdly, Timothy, think about what I'm doing for Jesus Christ until that day. Because Paul knew that his young minister needed to spend more time thinking about Jesus and less time thinking about himself. Uh, uh, we get in trouble when we spend too much time thinking about ourselves. He knew Timothy needed to spend more time thinking about Jesus and meditating on the goodness of the Lord as opposed to thinking about all of his critics and the people who were coming against him, making ministry hard for him in the city of Ephesus. Because not everybody in the church family wants to act like family. 
Uh, there's some folk who act out. And so these were people who were threatening Timothy, making it hard for Timothy, almost causing his fire to go out for the Lord. And Paul said, stir up the, the, the gift that is in you, fan into flame that fire. Don't let fear, fear of ministry, fear of persecution, fear of suffering, put your fire out for God. Because he says in verse 8, therefore, and when we study the Bible, we always ask, what is therefore, therefore? Which takes us back to verse 7 where he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, therefore. Based on what God has given you, therefore, therefore. So, change based upon what the Lord has done for us. And Paul is encouraging and admonishing Timothy to not be ashamed of Jesus, nor of Paul, who's in prison. That's what it says in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, because sometimes, if we're honest, we all have been ashamed to let everybody know that we're a believer. We, we keep our mouths shut. We, we tone it down. We don't want to share our testimony because the spirit of fear is trying to come upon us to make it. Don't you stand up and stand out. They're going to think you're strange. They're going to think you're unusual. They're going to think that you don't fit in. They're going to think that you're spiritual. Well, guess what? We don't fit in. We are unusual. That's who we are. We're a chosen generation. Now, he hadn't called us to be weird because there's some weird folk in the body of Christ. You got to add some swag to your walk. But in T-way, let me keep pushing. Paul has said, man, don't be ashamed of Jesus or of Paul who was in jail. Now, Paul is in jail for righteousness. Some of us have grown up where our dads were in jail for things that were not righteous. And it brought about shame when we talked about our father or even our mother. But this is different here. And he's telling Timothy, man, don't be ashamed to identify with me because everybody didn't love the Apostle Paul back then. Neither did everybody love Jesus. But Timothy, you got to think and remember it's because of Jesus and what he's done for you. And it's because of this man that Jesus put in your life. It's why you're where you are to this day. So don't cop out on me now. Don't be ashamed. As a matter of fact, he says, uh, uh, I want you to share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God. So encouraging and Timothy to join him in suffering, but dig this, join me in suffering for the one who suffered for us. Put your suffering in context. The reason why you're not invited to the parties, Timothy, the reason why you're not popular, the reason why people don't like you, the reason why people spew venom at you and want to hurt you and harm you, just like they have done me, is because of your Lord who also understands what you're going through because he suffered for you. That's why Hebrews 12:3 says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus endured the cross. We have to endure our crosses. We need to think about him so that we don't get weary and lose heart in this life. And I think Timothy was at this place where he was just weary of doing the right thing as a pastor. He was just tired of what was going on and associated with being a pastor and a disciple of Paul. Well, quickly, let's hit these points. First thing I want you to look at is that Timothy... Consider what Jesus Christ did for us in eternity past. 
I need you to think on this, Timothy. Look at verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So this is eternity past. So some stuff happened in your life, Timothy, before time began. Before this thing called time ever happened, beginning in the book of Genesis, something was going on in your life in eternity past for you and for me. He says in this passage, this one verse, he said, God saved us in eternity past. Are you serious? He saved us. Look at how Paul is speaking in the past tense because he said he saved us before time began. He saved, I'm not lying, I'm reading from the book. And what saved here means is that God delivered us before our mothers delivered us. Oh, I can't get a witness because you're thinking about candy right now. You, you pastor, standing away to candy. Believe me, I'm going to let you out. I'm going to be like Pharaoh and let God's people go. But, but give me a minute. Give me a minute. <laughs> God delivered you before your mother delivered you. Matter of fact, he delivered us from sin before we were born in sin. He knew us before we knew him in eternity past. Uh, let me let you in on something about God. He, he does not react to things in time and space. He doesn't learn things as he goes. He, he knows everything. He doesn't react. He predetermines. He's sovereign. He's omniscient. He knows everything, and he's also predetermined everything. So although we live in time and space, he lives in eternity. And there's a book that he's written on each one of us in Psalm 139, a book that he's written. All of our days have been written in his book before any of them came to be. That's what the psalmist said. So although I may be on page 39 and don't know what's going to be on page 40, God knows what's on page 40 because he wrote the book on my life. And I just got to walk by faith to the next page or to the next chapter, trusting the author and the finisher of my faith. So I'm walking this out, trusting the one who's ordered my steps. Is this making sense to anybody right now? So Timothy, I want you to know what happened to you in eternity past. He saved you. God had the solution to your sin before you had a problem called sin. He had the answer before we had a question. How he save us? Well, Revelation 13, 8 says the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. So before the world had a foundation, before it was formed, it was determined that the lamb, the son of God, would be slain. So before Adam was created and he and Eve sinned, bringing sin into the world, creating a problem, God already had a solution to the problem because the lamb was slain. The lamb wasn't slain as a reaction to the bad decision. The lamb was slain in advance because God knew the bad decision would be made, even though that's not what he wanted. And so the lamb was slain. The lamb was slain. God knew what the lamb would have to do in eternity past to save us in the present and hook us up for our future. Don't try to understand all of that. You will blow a brain cell trying to figure it all out. That's why we just got to trust God. He saved us. He delivered us in eternity past. Not only that, he called us. That's what the verse says, that we have a holy call. Let me back up verse 9. Who has saved us and 
called us because everybody who's saved has a calling. It's not just a calling on the preacher's life. No, every believer has a calling on his or her life. Why? Because God has written out your days with specificity. He's created you in such a way to bring him glory and also to enjoy the good of life. He wired you a particular way. He put a calling on your life. And in Acts chapter 17, it talks about how he places people where he wants them to be. So you were born where you were born by providence. You were raised where you were raised by sovereignty. There are no mistakes in your life, even though mistakes have happened in your life. Even though people have done you wrong, God is there to always do you right. But our faith is, are we going to trust him when our brothers sell us to the Midianites after putting us in a pit? Will we trust God? Because Joseph's story was the Lord was with him, even though he kept going down into prison, a uh, 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 charge for rape, all this stuff. God was with him. God, you have a funny way of showing that you're with us. But we read Genesis and we see the end of the story. Homeboy got promoted to be the second in command to Pharaoh. And there is that ending for all of our stories, that resurrection for all of our lives. We just have to hold on in this chapter, trusting that it's coming. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I do know that I win because he won. So he called us with a holy calling. So the calling is holy, and he's also put a calling on my life to live holy, to be holy by position, which means I'm a saint in his presence. When he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, the blood of Jesus applied to me. I look just like Jesus to God because I've been saved by grace through faith. And so I'm clothed with the righteousness of his son. But then also that translates over into how I live. My position leads into my practice because there's a holy calling on my life because as he is holy, I'm to be holy. What does that mean? Does that mean to be perfect? Of course not because none of us can be perfect in this life. But what it means is that we are growing in Christ-likeness. We're looking more and more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. We sound more like him. We act more like him. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is conforming us to his image. To be holy means to be set apart, to be uh, uh, distinct. And that's what the holiness is. He is setting us apart from the things in the world and the things that are even in us that are attracted to the world. It's a process. It's a holy calling. He's called us with a holy calling, but it was not according to our works because ain't nobody going to boast. It's not up to him. So he didn't call us because we brought something to the table. He knows we didn't bring anything to the table and wouldn't even come to the table because no one understands and no one seeks after God. He had to seek after us because we were lost. And so it's not by works. Nobody's boasting about what they did. You know, I was holy coming up. I didn't put a perm in my hair. I didn't wear pants. Uh, I didn't listen to secular music, you know. I didn't do any of that. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I'm holy. That's not holiness. Oh, I wish I had time. He called us according to his own purpose. His own purpose. He had a purpose for each and every one of us before we were born. And even before we were born again. Again, he doesn't react. He predetermines. He makes decisions beforehand. There's a purpose on your life. You're not floating out here nebulously, trying to figure things out aimlessly. There's a purpose on your life. The general purpose is to enjoy God and glorify him. 
That's everybody's general purpose, to enjoy God and make him known. But specifically, it looks different in your life and in my life. But there is a purpose, and sometimes we don't understand that purpose until we get a little bit older. So I'm going to live the known will of God until the unknown will of God finds me. A lot of times, Lord, what's the will of God for my life? I don't know, but live the known will of God and the unknown will of God, your purpose will find you. I did not come out the womb wanting to be a preacher or a pastor. No. When I saw my granddaddy who was a pastor, I was like, that's the last thing I want to be as a pastor. Now, he had a nice Cadillac, but that's about it. <laughs> won't be no pastor, but now, man, this is my purpose. This is what I love to do. So he's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. He called us according to his own purpose, and he called us according to his grace. That's what you see in verse 9. It was his grace that was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He gave us grace in eternity past. I like how Jeremiah said, before I was formed in the womb, you knew me and ordained me to be a prophet to the nation. No, that's what God said to Jeremiah. Before I knew you and formed you in the womb, I ordained you to be a prophet. Because he was steady telling God what he couldn't do. God, I can't go out and be a prophet. What you mean you can't be a prophet? I ordained you to be a prophet before you were born. So walk in the calling, that good work that was ordained. Walk in it and stop making excuses. Have faith. Trust me. Do what I told you to do. I will never call you to do something that you can do in your own strength because you're going to get the glory. I'm going to always call you. Your purpose is always going to be higher than you so that you have to depend on me to do it. And then when it gets done, we know who gets the glory. Oh, Timothy, man, you got to know, brother. I know you suffered. I know you hurting. But man, you got to think on these things, man. Go back to eternity past. Because, Timothy, your salvation, your calling, and your purpose were graciously given to you in Christ Jesus before time began. And don't sit here acting like God didn't know what he was doing when he called you to do what you're doing. The problem is not on God's end. It's on your end, Timothy. Because everything God's going to do for you, he's already done for you. Oh, you missed it. I, I, I got to say it again. It, it, everything God is going to do for you He's already done for you. It's in the past tense, but we're walking it out in present time. So I just have to trust him. Everything that he's going to do, he's already done. Also, what we see in this passage, we, we move to point number two. Timothy, consider what Jesus Christ did for us in the present time. Look at verse 10. But has now. Mm -hmm. You see the transition? He was talking about eternity past. That he saved you, he called you, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So now he's talking about the present time, but has now. So Timothy, let, let's make this practical. Let's make this relevant. Let's bring eternity past into your world today. He says, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This letter is written somewhere around 66, 67 AD. Jesus appeared and died somewhere around 30 to 33 AD, okay? Depending upon which calendar you look at. And so what this says is that by the time Paul was in this letter, about 35 years approximately has gone by since Jesus appeared, but it's still fresh news because he shook up the world then and his coming has shaken up the world now. 
I heard a man on a media say he doesn't believe in the historicity of Jesus Christ. But this clown went on to say he believes in uh, UFOs and aliens and all that kind of stuff. Because he said we can't prove that Jesus was here, but yet he has enough faith to believe in aliens. But I wish somebody could have got to that media guy and said, you do know that every time you date something and you say 2021, uh, that's the year of our Lord. It goes back to when he came the first time. He, he shook it up so much they set the calendar to before Christ and after Christ. So, so he came, my brother, he came. Oh, I wish I could chase that, but let me keep on running. And so Jesus appeared in the present time to secure what was purchased in eternity past. He came to secure what was per The lamb was slain. You were saved. You were called past tense, but we're going to come in the present time to, secure, to purchase what was secured in eternity past. Jesus, according to this verse, abolished death through the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel, according to 1 Corinthians 15, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is the good news that God loves sinners and made a way for sinners to be forgiven and made right with him and accepted by him and loved by him and adopted by him and blessed by him and accepted by him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And Jesus abolished death through the gospel. Death has lost its sting. The grave has no victory. Jesus brought life to light through the gospel. That's what it says in verse 10, that Jesus Christ who has abolished death, he defeated death by rising from the grave. And those who know him, death will not hold us down. So death has been abolished. The sting has been removed. He's also brought life to light. Meaning that when you trust him, not only does he give you eternal life, he gives you abundant life. We know what living is as believers. We know how to live life as it was purposed. But Adam fell and we have been living in a fallen world, fallen systems, fallen body. But through Jesus, he has brought life to light. My God. Not only that, Jesus brought immortality to light through the gospel. That means when folk die. <laughs> they just are going from the land of the dying to the land of the living. Uh, immortality because of Jesus, because he's alive. Our loved ones who die in the Lord, they are living now in the Lord because he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am, not I was, I am. So those guys are alive with the I am because when they died, they really started living. When my daddy died, when my mother died, when your family members died in the Lord, they are as alive now as they were when they hit. Matter of fact, more alive in his presence because they've seen the glory of God. They are alive. He's brought immortality to life through the gospel. That's why when we go to funeral, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve like people who have hope because there's more to life than this life. We know that there's another life that our God went to prepare a place for us so that where he is, there we may be also. That's our hope. That's why we grieve with hope. My God, we don't fall apart when people die. Man, we come together and get stronger. That gives us hope. That's a, man, they beat us there. They got to see Jesus before we did. Oh, man, I can't wait. I ain't ready to go yet because I still got some abundant life to live. <laughs> oh, God, thank you, Jesus. But then thirdly, Timothy, I need you to consider what I'm doing for Jesus Christ until that day. Look at verse 11, to which 
I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. That day. What day is that? Judgment day. What day is that? The day of the Lord. When the Lord comes back and he reigns on the earth. That day. That day. It's in the future. Eternity future. So Timothy, consider what I'm doing for Jesus now. Because all that he's done for me, I got to do something for him. And the only stuff I'm doing for him is stuff that he appointed me to do. I was appointed a preacher. That's what Paul said. The guy who was going to Damascus to persecute Christians, to bring them to prison. God touched his heart, changed his life, and then called him to preach the word of God. A preacher is someone who proclaims the truth. A preacher is someone who is a herald, who goes into town sharing good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So the heralds would go from city to city, hamlet to hamlet, proclaiming the good news about a victory that just happened perhaps in war or the anointing or the coronation of a king. They go around heralding the good news. And Paul says, man, I'm a preacher. I was appointed to be a preacher. Not only that, I was appointed to be an apostle. You know, the ones who, uh, after Jesus, the foundation, the apostles, the, the, they are the next foundation church. Those 12, uh, 13 people, uh, they are the ones, you know, the apostles, the ones who were sent forth is what it means in the Greek language. Sent forth to not only proclaim, but to establish churches. And they were authorized by God that when they spoke, man, there was an authority on what they said. And it was backed up with signs and wonders. The apostles. Paul says, I was appointed an apostle. He said, matter of fact, man, I was the baker's dozen. Because God had 12, one of them went left and they replaced him. But then God added me abnormally, you know, one who don't deserve to be an apostle. But guess what? Just like those apostles, I saw Jesus for myself and he made me an apostle. I'm abnormally born. I've been added to the family by adoption. Y'all were there walking with him for three and a half years, but he called me and put me into that group. Oh, I was appointed. Then he says, I was appointed a teacher and not just a teacher, but a teacher of the Gentiles. So God determined that part of my purpose would be not only to preach and to be an apostle, but to be a teacher, one who explains biblical truth, one who shares the word so that people can understand. And he said, my ministry was to the Gentiles, not exclusively because we know Paul loved himself, some Jewish people, but there was a calling on his life to minister to Gentiles in a way that no one had on their life like Paul. Paul says, I was appointed to do this stuff. And because I was appointed, in verse 11, because I was appointed a preacher, appointed an apostle, appointed a teacher, because of this appointing, God made sure I had me some anointing. Uh, because of this appointment, God knew that I could do this without anointment. What's anointing? What's anointment? The Holy Spirit working in you, on you, and through you. You submitting to the Spirit, and your gifts come out. Your gifts come through. So there's an anointment with your appointment. That's why you can do what you do. 
It's not because of your strength. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. But the question is, are you walking in your appointment or are you trying to walk in somebody else's appointment? Uh, 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 You don't know what yours is, so you're mimicking somebody else. You're trying to cookie cut a move of God because it looks good. It sounds good. But if you choose your appointment, you don't have no anointment for that appointment and won't be much fruit in that appointment. So you got to go back to the one who makes the calendar, who, 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 who sets these appointments for us to keep and say, Lord, what's my appointment? Maybe you're not supposed to be up front. Maybe your appointment is behind the scenes. Maybe you're to work with your hands. Maybe your appointment is to work with children. Maybe your appointment is to be a light in the business sector. Maybe your appointment is in missions. I don't know what your appointment is, but whatever he's appointed you to, he's given you an anointing to do that appointment. My God. Oh, I I tell you what, I had a week last week. I was so tired, and I had this consulting uh, thing I had to do with a company in town. I'm tired. But I'm reading this scripture here, and the Lord reminded me, they asked you to come in and consult them about implicit bias, uh, racialization, all these things. They they asked you to come. And let me tell you something. I know you're tired, but this is what I have appointed you to do, not just in the church, but in the world. Uh, uh, This Diverse kingdom is to be experienced, explained, and expanded. So therefore, what I am sending you out to do, I'm going to give you the anointment to do it, the appointment, so you got to rely on me. And then that's when you feel your second wind kick in. The Holy Ghost just comes in and gives you wings to fly and to do what you've been called to do. Oh my, I hope you're operating in your appointment. I hope you know. If you don't know, you got to go back to him. Say, God, what am I appointed to do? What am I called to do? You determine in eternity past what I'm supposed to do and be for you. Check him out. And, and let me throw this in for free. Just because you are appointed and anointed, that don't mean you won't suffer. That's for free. Take that with you. Uh, uh, just because you got an appointment and you're anointed, the spirit of the Lord has come upon me. Everybody that's been anointed done been through some suffering. And that's what Paul is saying here. Man, I'm suffering. I'm not ashamed to suffer. Timothy, you've been appointed and anointed, but why are you ashamed of Jesus and of me? Man, come on. This is what it's all about. Because when he called you, he didn't give you a mattress. He gave you a cross. You can't always be comfortable in your calling. Man, this is a cross here. Ah, and that's why he says in verse 12, for this reason, I also suffer. Man, because I'm a preacher, teaching apostle, because of that stuff, the calling on my life, I suffer. Don't think it's strange that you're suffering when you do what God has called you to do. He says, nevertheless, oh, we got to get this word in our Christian vocabulary. Nevertheless, I'm suffering. Nevertheless, nevertheless means no matter how bad it is. God is still good. God is still in control. God still got this. I'm suffering these things. I'm in jail about to have my head cut off. Nevertheless. Oh, we got to get some nevertheless instead of some of them other words we use when we suffering. And, and, and we, rather than blessing, 
Anyway, anyway, anyway. He, he says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. He was not ashamed of me when he died naked on that cross. I'm not going to be ashamed of him. For I know whom I have believed. Timothy, do you know whom you have believed? You see, too many young preachers don't focus on who they believe in. They focus too much on what they're supposed to believe on. Okay, let, let me come at you this way. He didn't say, I know what I have believed. See, a lot of Christians have reduced the Christian life to a cognitive experience of sheer and mere uh, acquisition of facts. I, I know the right things. I, I know all the doctrine and the dogmas. But do you know him? I can sing all these praise songs and all these wonderful hymns, but do you know him? Paul said in Philippians 3, that I may know him, not know church. That I may know church, because a lot of us know church. We know church, but do you know him? Paul says, I know whom I have believed, and that helps me. When I think on him, when I think about him, when I hate on him, that affects and adjusts everything in my perspective in the natural realm. Oh, my God. And then he says, uh, 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 I am persuaded. Uh, let me go back here. He says, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded. Uh, I'm convinced about something. But because of him, again, not a dogma. Dogma has that place. Doctrine has its place now. But don't worship knowledge. Don't worship the Bible. Worship God who gave us the Bible. Uh, Jesus said about the Pharisees, man, y'all sure study the scriptures all day, but y'all keep missing me up in here. A lot of us, we, oh boy, we study, we study. We focus so much on spiritual gifts that we miss the one who gave the spiritual gifts. My, my, my. And he says, man, I am persuaded. Paul, what are you convinced? And Because once somebody is persuaded, man, you can't move them. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Paul says, I am persuaded that he is able. My, my, my. Can, can we just stop right there? That he is able. That means that he has ability. That means that he has power. Yeah. If he wanted to bow out of this jail right now, he could and he can. But if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow down to the circumstances. I trust him. He's able. He's able. He's able. And then he says he's able to keep. Oh, does anybody know him as a keeper? That he can keep your mind regulated. He can keep you in perfect peace because your mind is stayed on him. He can keep you when you don't have any money in the bank. He can keep you when your health is faltering. He can keep you when folks talk about you and turn their backs on you. He can keep you when you're by yourself. He can keep you. He can keep you. Now unto him who is able, he says. Uh, 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 he says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul, what did you commit to him? My life. I committed my life to him and he's going to keep my life until that day Paul you're saying that the life you're committed to him that he determined in eternity past that he will save you and call you that life that you wouldn't have apart from him the life he gave you you're committing to him to keep until that day in other words he's got you covered from the past the present and the future so why are you tripping this is the faith that we must have my God Paul wanted his spiritual son to think about Jesus. When I think about Jesus and all he's done for me, you see, because in our churches sometimes we, we have praise breaks. 
And when somebody would start saying, when I think about Jesus and all he's done for me, when I think about Jesus and how he set me free, I can what? How long? All night. Remix. When I think about Jesus and all he's done for me, when I think about Jesus and how he set me free, I can stand, 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 stand all night. I can stand, having done all to stand because he's standing in me, because he stood for me. Oh, this kind of mindset and focus. Before time began, he saved me, called me, purposed me, and graced me. And once he appeared in time, he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. And because of what God has done for me in eternity past and in the present time, I am proud to be his preacher, apostle, and teacher until that day in the future. And my appointment comes with an anointment. It also comes with suffering. And that doesn't concern me because I know whom I have believed. In the year 1707, the man who wrote the song Joy to the World had another hit. All you need is one hit, maybe even two. We know Joy to the World, but he also wrote another hit called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And this man, Isaac Watts, in 1707 wrote, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them. The vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be a present far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Father, give us this mindset. Help us to put suffering in perspective. It's temporary. Give us eyes to see what we don't see, to see eternity past, to see eternity future. That day, where we will not be judged. We won't be at the great white throne. We'll be at the beam of seat. And we hope to hear well done. And we hope to be rewarded and have crowns put on our heads, oh God, that helps us to bear in the present time. We may not know that Paul and Timothy went through, but Lord, we suffer here. I just pray that today, again, we'll put the suffering in its right perspective. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.